Have you ever been part of a spontaneous worship explosion like that, an outbreak like that, like where all of a sudden God does something so amazing that you just have to worship? I mean, most of our worship, if you think about it, is scheduled in, right? We schedule it at 9 or 10.30 in the morning. We come to a building and, you know, the worship band starts leading us and we kind of worship. But in this case, the Israelites have this amazing experience with God, this big moment with God. And their only response is to start to worship and sing and praise and dance with tambourines and celebrate what they've seen God, God do among them. You know, they had, he had delivered them in this powerful, huge way from slavery and from the Egyptians once and for all. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that when Israel left Egypt, God led them on the roundabout way, kind of the long road, which got them up against the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds, and they were trapped on one side by that, and the other side, the Egyptians decided they were going to pursue them and came roaring back against them. And so here they are trapped in the middle. And God tells Moses, Moses, just relax. I got this. And Moses tells the people, look, you need to be still. Be quiet. Stop all the chattering. The Lord will fight for you. Now, this is an interesting statement that Moses makes, this idea of the Lord fighting for Israel. I'm sure that while they were in Egypt, they didn't really think of a God as a God who fought for them. They were oppressed, they were brutalized, they were in slavery. For 400 years, they had probably not experienced a God that actually fought for them. So here Moses tells them, just be still. The Lord's going to fight for you. I, I love this song that they sing, and I wonder about the context of the song. Like, where did it come from? How did they come to this idea that God is a warrior who would fight for them? when they lived with this other experience of a God who seemed kind of distant and absent. So somewhere in their Egyptian context, they come to this, and I think it's from the way the Pharaoh was understood in Egypt. Egyptians had a lot of gods. One of those was the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, they've uncovered Ramses II's tomb in Egypt. This is likely the Pharaoh that enslaved the Israelites during this time. And all over the walls of his tomb are depictions of Ramses II, and the way that he throws his weight around and oppresses people and runs them over and uses his mighty right hand and arm outstretched to conquer the nations. Let me show you some of the pictures. This is one right here. You can see the Pharaoh on the right there with his mighty right hand stretched out. You can see one of his soldiers has some people by the hair about to chop off their heads. Go to the next picture. You can see the Pharaoh himself with his mighty right arm raised with a sword about to decapitate some slaves' heads. The next picture, not to gross you out, but there's actually, those are people's hands. They've actually drawn people's hands that are being delivered to the feet of the Pharaoh, dropped at his feet. These are the people that, have, that he's conquered, whose hands have been chopped off and put at his feet. And finally, again, Here's the Pharaoh with his arm raised against a slave that he's covered, that he's kind of taken power over. During this time, Egypt was a superpower, right? The Pharaoh was one of the most powerful guys in the face of the earth, the face of the planet. And so his mighty right hand would literally conquer nations, brutalize people, and oppress them. So I love the fact that when Pharaoh's army is swallowed in the sea, the Israelites sing these words. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. 
It's almost like the Israelites are singing, whatever Pharaoh can do, the Lord Yahweh can do better. I love that. Now, have you ever experienced God fighting for you? In other parts of the scripture, he's called the, the, the God of angel armies. I've seen God fight for the heart and soul of a high school student at a camp. I've experienced God fighting for me in different situations. I've seen God fight for people that are oppressed and experiencing injustice. I think right now, we need to kind of cry out to the Lord, who is our warrior, to fight for us a virus we can't even see. We know that the experts aren't going to get it right. The doctors are trying. But ultimately, we need the Lord to stretch out his mighty right hand and fight for us. Now, the great thing is this song has more images, more names for God. So, Pastor Greg, what's another name that they call God in the song? All right. Yeah, it's amazing. In Exodus chapter 15, there are several kind of identifications or descriptions of this God that the Israelites are now following into freedom. So uh, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, something that I pray pretty routinely, is Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength, picks up on that right hand part, and the Lord is my song. So the second half of that might sound a little soft or uh, a little weak compared to the Lord being a mighty warrior. Like, what does it mean that the Lord is our song, the Lord is my song? So lest we forget, for much of human history, uh, music hasn't been just something to comfort or to listen to for entertainment, but pretty much every army has had music that goes along with them. Even, I mean, today the United States Army has a military band. Even the Salvation Army has a, a band that goes along. Um, so if you've ever traveled to Scotland or heard bagpipes, um, they are super loud, super harsh, and those instruments, the bagpipes, were originally a weapon of war. If you got a group of bagpipers to play on the other side of uh, a mountain or part of the Scottish Highlands, it struck fear and terror into the army that was about to fight with the Scots. The Scots were so terrifying that when the Roman Empire made it into Great Britain, they made an entire wall to separate the Scottish kingdom um, from everything south so that they could avoid the terrorizing Scotsmen who used these bagpipes as weapons of war. Uh, <laughs> So, so not just that, but you know, if you've ever been part of a sports team that has uh, won a game or to get ourselves pumped up, right? There's the intro music at basketball games. If you've ever been to University of Michigan football game, every time there's a touchdown, the song that plays is "Hail to the Victors." Uh, I mean, the rock band Queen made this song called "We Are the Champions," and if your team wins. To blast that song, I've been in a team van a few times after an especially remarkable victory, uh, singing that song at the top of my lungs. If you remember um, just a few years back in the middle of the night after the Cubs beat the Cleveland Indians in Game 7 and singing Go Cubs Go, I mean, half of Chicago has never been happier in their entire lives as singing that song. So sometimes music can just sweep us away in this wave of happiness and victory, and there's even uh, an aggressive side to it. The Lord is our strength, and the Lord is our song. So it's like God is, through his spirit, filling up and possessing his people in this great moment of wonder and victory. The other thing about a song is that a melody or a piece of music can get stuck or lodged in our head, and it can work its way down and uh, become almost an inescapable part of us. A song can get underneath us 
and behind our defenses and really become part of us. And definitely uh, that is what the people of God are longing for. And that's what the heart of God is longing for us, that the spirit of God uh, would get behind our just rational minds, get into our hearts, get underneath our defenses and be like a melody that we have been dreaming about all night, that we wake up with first thing in the morning uh, that gives us uh, comfort and solace as we go to sleep at night. The Lord is our song. So my personal experience with this verse, um, this has been kind of a go-to prayer for me in good times, in bad times. Um, I literally have prayed it probably tens and tens of thousands of times. And for me, uh, just the first half of that verse, the Lord is my strength um, to breathe in and remember those words that the Lord is my strength as I draw in life's breath and then to exhale and to pray, the Lord is my song, that the will of God would be something that comes through me and possesses me and comes out of me. Um, Just this identification of God has gotten me through good times and bad times and given me um, strength and confidence in times when I needed it most. So there is power in the name of God, in the name of Yahweh, in the name of Jesus, and there is inherent power in music And there is superpower when you combine the names of God with music in praise of the great I am. So this amazing seaside celebration scene ends with Miriam, Moses' big sister, leading all the Israelite women, actually grabbing drums. The Hebrew word is toff, which actually doesn't mean tambourine, but these little hand drums. So if you can think of like the world's happiest conga line, like singing to God, playing these drums... Uh, and remembering the chorus that Moses has just taught them and singing over and over again. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. It seems like it's an amazing time. But after the song, they're about to take their first steps into the other side of the sea. So what happens next? I'm going to say, before we even go there, like I can, when we finally get to worship here again with the whole group, I'm going to lead the conga line. (laughs) We got to have a conga line, right? We can't just be sitting here like duds in the seats. We got to be like dancing around. This is going to be amazing, yeah, right? We're going to be I, delivered. I, I trust everybody is up for some amazing celebration. Yeah, we're going to be dancing around. I just want to say, and I, and I can also imagine even Sox fans seeing Go Cubs Go during that time, 2016. I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. That's a little interlude that was not planned. So, so then, like Pastor Greg said, as soon as this, or shortly after this, this big worship celebration is finished, it says in Exodus 15:22, we get this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Now, into the wilderness they go right away, into the wilderness. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was in the wilderness multiple times. I've been to Israel multiple times. The last time was with Ray Vanderlaan in 2009. This man loves to hike through the wilderness. We spent 8 to 10 hours at some days hiking through the wilderness. He would say to us as we left the bus, take six bottles of water or eight bottles of water, and we kind of would know, based on the number of bottles of water, how long we'd be hiking. So the wilderness is not a place for the faint of heart. Here's some pictures of the actual wilderness there in Israel. You can see the cliffs. You can see there's no plant life anywhere. There's no trees. There's no relief from the sun. You can go to the next one. You can see for as far as you can see into the distance, There's a few greenery out there, probably some desert trees, but for the most part, you're just beating 
uh, walking along under the sun. Go to the next one. You can see here that uh, the Israelites are wandering. You can see how these mountains are large and we look really tiny and small climbing up these hills. And then the next one shows again. This mountainous thing. And then finally, there's a, a Dutch-looking Israelite here in the next slide. Um, you know, flexing some muscles. That's the 49-year-old Jeff Klein uh, back in the day when I was hiking through the wilderness. Now, these, this wilderness, literally 125 degrees, sun beating down on your head, it doesn't let up. You don't even know you're sweating because the sweat dries before it actually gets on your shirt. You literally are drinking water all the time. So these Israelites are sent by God on purpose into the wilderness to go travel there to where he wanted them to go. Look at this. Uh, last week we looked at this verse in Deuteronomy where Moses was looking back interpreting for the Israelites what it was that God was up to. Remember this? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Now it's interesting. Really? Does the Lord need to test them or to know what's in their heart? Doesn't he already know? Well, it's interesting that these words in Hebrew are actually words that sort of indicate the Lord wants to see what's in their heart. He wants to experience it. He doesn't want to just know in his head. He wants to actually see the Israelites put on display in the wilderness what's in their hearts. When you get in the wilderness, it forces you to reveal what's really on your heart. God wants to see this. So back to Exodus 15, it reads like this. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Three days without water. Well, they probably had carried some water with them from Egypt. They had plundered the Egyptians and carried water with them. But after three days, that water was pretty much gone. I don't think Moses led them to a bitter well on purpose. I'm not sure this well was ever called Mara before they actually discovered what was in it. But he leads them to this well that's going to feed thousands of people, or I should say drink thousands of people, or quench their thirst, right? This little well, and they find out when they drop the bucket, the water is bitter. It's not just the water that's actually bitter. Their spirits are bitter. They immediately start grumbling and complaining against God. Against Moses, like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I can't believe this. Again, they reveal what's on their hearts in the midst of the wilderness. They come up against this difficult thing, and all of a sudden they're freaking out, and they're grumbling and complaining. Moses takes this action. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. I kind of love this verse. Because, uh, first of all, Moses cries out. That's the word zehekah, which is the deep cry of the Spirit for help. It says in the Old Testament, whenever that happens, God looks in that direction and responds. So Moses cries out in desperation, but the Lord is actually teaching Moses also. He's teaching Moses that it wasn't about him. He tells him, go get a piece of wood, Moses. Moses is like, wait a minute, I have a piece of wood. My staff, I just... Part of the Red Sea with this staff. I just turned the Nile blood with this staff. I just turned it into a snake in front of the Pharaoh's magicians. God's like, no, not that staff, Moses. Go get that piece of wood. The rabbis talk about this extensively. They discuss this. They're like, God is teaching Moses that the real power is not in his staff, but it's the Lord, his mighty outstretched right hand. So Moses takes this piece of wood and he throws it in the well and up comes this sweet water that they can drink. It's 
It's pretty cool. Now, one could say that the largest challenge for God was not getting Israel out of Egypt. The largest challenge for God was getting Egypt out of Israel. They'd been there for 400 years. They'd soaked up the culture of Egypt. They had lived in the Nile Delta, the plush Nile Delta. And now, God needs them to be a different kind of people, a people that will put his heart on display. So he leads them into the wilderness. Now, this past week, we learned that we're going to be in the wilderness longer than we thought. Right? I've heard a lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining. I guess maybe this wilderness is revealing what's in our hearts. Maybe we're putting on display for God what's really there. But maybe God is about taking America out of our hearts and putting something else there. I don't know. Maybe God's up to something. Are we ready to yield to his work in the wilderness? Are we ready to say, God, we worship you even here where there's a lack of water and things aren't like we expected them? That's the question we're left with this morning on this particular section. Now, Pastor Greg, the story continues, I believe. Yeah, so after the water is sort of healed, um, Exodus 15 uh, has one more sort of identification for God given to his people. Um, God says this about himself. I am the Lord who heals you. And just as the bitter water was healed, um, so God's mission moving forward is to heal and build up his people. So I love this phrase, um, taking the Egypt out of the people, right? Um, God is trying to turn the people of slavery into the people of God, not only take them out of Egypt, but to take the Egypt out of them. The first part, taking them out of Egypt, seems almost easy by comparison, right? There was Moses' staff, just like you said, it performed all these amazing signs and wonders that got them out of Egypt. But getting the Egypt out of them might require a second kind of stick, maybe a cudgel, because we human <laughs> beings are so hard-hearted, uh, we might need uh, kind of get whacked around a little bit by a wild branch to knock some life and some common sense back in. But here's what I know. God wants his people. God wants us. Um, and not just some of us, all of us. And God loves us too much uh, to leave us as we were, or to leave the Egypt inside of us. We are beloved and worth saving. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we are worth too much to God um, to fight his transforming work in us. Out of Egypt and the Egypt out of us. So maybe, just maybe, one of the things that is on God's agenda right now for his church, for Elmhurst CRC in particular, for us as individual believers, is to help get a little more Egypt out of us. What if it's on God's agenda to help us more freely recognize our limits, that we are not gods, that for all of our technological and economic and medical uh, mastery and knowledge, that we still have limits that we have huge gaps in terms of our knowledge. We have huge gaps in terms of our wisdom. We have huge gaps in terms of our morality, our behavior, and our righteousness. And into all of these gaps, the solution is like more of the Spirit of God. What if that is part of God's agenda for us right now? 
So here's what I know. When God's people cry out, whether it's bitter water or a bitter spirit or a difficult circumstance, when we cry out and ask God for help and for saving, and if we're open to whatever means are necessary, whether it's uh, the staff of a good shepherd and a leader, or whether it's a wild stick and a cudgel that's going to come in to do God's work, if we're open to that, God indeed um, is desiring to step in and lead us to the next step in our transformation. So this passage in Exodus 15 ends with this word of hope. After leaving Mara, that's the place of bitterness or bitter water, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis. Isn't that a great word to hear right now? The oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. So God leads his people uh, deeper into the wilderness and to an oasis. Here's what an oasis in the Sinai looks like, uh, if you can bring the picture up. Like for all those rocky, dusty, barren pictures that Pastor Jeff showed us, like this would be a sight for sore eyes. Springs of water and green trees. And the numbers here are no accident. There's 12 springs. There's 70 palm trees. Those are both holy numbers and numbers of wholeness. Numbers uh, that reflect God's provision and the fact that God is leading them toward rest and respite even in the wilderness, that he is guiding them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God, in these two chapters, Exodus 14 and 15, has shepherded his people through the walls of water of the Red Sea. He shepherded them uh, toward this place of bitter water where the waters are healed. And then he shepherds them into a final resting place, an oasis. God is shepherding in and through all of that. And through this, God is revealing more and more who he really is. God is revealing um, his names and his identity and his heart. Remember, these people are fresh into this relationship. It's almost like God is baby talking at his new, newly born people, uh, trying to gently shepherd them into understanding who he really is. God has now revealed himself as the great I am to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. God has now revealed himself to be uh, the great warrior, the one whose right hand is the most powerful thing around. And God has revealed himself to be the song that inspires and carries his people along. And God has revealed himself to be the God who heals. Friends, because we are on the other side of the cross and Easter Sunday, we can also say these things about Jesus himself. Jesus is our great I am. Jesus is our mighty warrior who is winning and has won every battle that needs to be won. Jesus is the song that is intended to fill us up and bring joy to our days. And Jesus himself is the one who heals us. And there is serious power, spiritual power, soul power, brain power, physical power that comes when we call on the name of the Lord and when we praise the name of the Lord. This is God's plan for not only getting us out of Egypt, out of the strange time, but also slowly but surely, indeed, with Jesus' strength and shepherding, good shepherding, getting the Egypt out of us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. So Lord God, we thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. We've experienced you. 
as our warrior, as our song, as our deliverer and our healer, as the one who is remaking and reshaping us into your people and what you want us to be. Lord, in this wilderness time, we pray that you'd help us to yield to your shaping work. We pray, Lord, that you would be able to take Egypt out of our hearts and instead place yourself there. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to step forward, not in bitterness and complaining and grumbling, but in total and complete trust of the God who wants to save us. Thank you, Lord, for fighting for us, fighting for all your people all over the world. We, we look forward to seeing your great salvation. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.